start off reading an email from Logan in response to uh, the rather lot of filler material we've gotten recently. He writes, It looks like there's only three ways to start a Pokemon filler episode. Ash and the gang get blamed for stealing something that they didn't steal and happened to come upon. Like, who were they gonna ask about the watermelon? They saw them floating down the stream. For all the kids knew, the watermelon could have been in the river for hours. Or two... Ash and the gang end up somewhere they're not allowed to be in and don't get stopped until some wild Pokemon appears and either attacks them or they try to catch the Pokemon. It seems only Team Rocket ever comes by a fence so they can break the rules, meanwhile Ash and company never come across a fence. Or three, there's some holiday or festival going on and the kids decide to hang around and head out afterwards. And... Yeah, Logan's not wrong. Those are basically our only three options. We could stand for some variety in our filler episodes, get some fresh blood in the writer's pool or something. But it's a good observation and kind of funny how the kids never intentionally break the rules. They always have plausible deniability. We never saw a fence. We just happened to wander into this highly protected nature preserve. Or whatever the case. There was that one time where Max, like, deliberately tried to break and enter a lighthouse. But for the most part, for the twerps, it's all happenstance. Team Rocket, though, they find every fence in the book just so that they can bust past it. From a writer's standpoint, it makes a bit of sense because you want to have the bad guys breaking the rules and the good guys not doing that. But then again, from a writer's standpoint... Since that specific trope has happened so often in this show, it starts to look lazy. And you'd think a good writer would look at that and be like, how can I twist this or dig into this and make it a little more honest and a little more fresh? Like at the very basic level, just consider what might happen if we started our plot and Ash did come across the fence. And there's a legendary Pokemon on the other side, or the Pokemon stole his hat or something, and now Ash has the question of does he break the rules or not? Now we have conflict! Now we have a fresh idea! Yeah, I love this show, I really do, but Logan, you are absolutely right. Like, some of these things get a little repetitive. Anyway, you are all listening to Peekappy Podcast, a Pokemon anime podcast that goes through each episode, each episode of the show in such depth that we would all notice and recognize how many times 
Ash has wandered into somewhere he shouldn't be completely against his knowledge and not intending to break the rules while Team Rocket has totally busted down every no trespassing sign in the place. Welcome to the show. Today we're on Advanced Generation number 43, and it is another filler episode, and again, you will see that we start this filler episode with one of the three possibilities <laughs> that we have used over and over and over. Today will certainly not be a departure from the path, but that's okay. I'm still determined to have a good time, and I hope all of you do too, listening. But before we get into that, a quick word from our sponsor. Poke Press has been very busy over the weekend at the Pokemon Midwest Regionals. Steven from Poke Press talks about the side events he played in and, and observed, as well as the main tournament, and um, a not quite a pre-release tournament he played in. I really need to do those pre-made deck tourneys he keeps talking about. They sound so fun and a good option for those who love to play, but choose to build their Pokemon decks by this art is pretty standards. <laughs> a pre-made deck to play with sounds much more viable. Uh, Steven also teases some interviews that he got from the event, so it's a, it's a good video to check out. If you weren't able to go or you're wondering kind of what these events are like or what kind of, what kind of games and events and sites to see there are, for Pokemon fans, because we can't all, we all want to be the very best like no one ever was, but we can't all be card game champions. <laughs> and it sounds like at the Midwestern Regionals, there are a lot of good options for more casual players to have a good time too. You can visit PokePress on YouTube or at their blog page, pokepress.blogspot.com. And I'll also have that link in my blog page, and I'll give you that info at the end of the episode. For now, let us get into episode 43, Let Bagons Be Bagons. The scenery has changed. We've turned away from the lush forests and lakes. We're getting into mountain territory now, on our way to Fall Arbor Town, and then Lava Ridge. And as the scenery changes, so do the Pokémon. Ash and friends are walking and see high on a cliff a dinosaur-looking thing, a Bagon. Ash is excited. New Pokemon whips out the Pokédex. It's a tough guy. Its head is as hard as steel. And well, wouldn't it be nice to get a closer look? Bagon thinks so too, and Swan dives off the cliff at the kids, and then starts running in the air like it's trying to fly. That fails, whatever it was trying to do. But Bagon headbutts the nearest rock with its skull bash to stop its landing, and that's a pretty cool move crushes the rock into oblivion, too. Well, Bagon is looking for a fight, so Ash decides to battle with Talo. The two begin their battle, and Bagon runs up the cliff again, preparing for another Skullbash dive. And again, after it jumps, trying to gain an extra couple seconds of airtime. So is this a Pokemon parody of Yoshi? Because I see Bagon running in the air, and all I can think of is that little green dinosaur straining with effort for every inch of height, like, Meh. We should see if Bagon likes puzzles and cookies. Well, the battle is easy for Talo. It's really easy to dodge Bagon. And especially being that Talo is a flying Pokemon, Bagon's only option to get close to it is to perform its swan dive off the cliff technique. 
So it's all looking good for Ash and Taylor until this purple-haired girl in this fantastic maroon leotard jumps down. And she's got the sunglasses of destiny on with a computer in them, calculating stats and physics and all sorts of things that helps Bagon to dodge Talo's next attack. She's the Bagon's trainer, I guess. Her name is Michelle. And she's way upset that these kids would sneak attack her Bagon like that. And she's like, really? It attacked us first, yo. As Logan said... There are only a few options for how to start an episode, and one of them is getting accused of doing things that they honestly weren't doing. Michelle backs down, realizing that, yeah, attacking random strangers might be something her Bagon would do. It wants battle experience, after all, and it's kind of feisty. She shouldn't have assumed. She also assumes that Brock is not quite well, when he starts trying to hold her hand and give his flowery speeches, like, we'll just let her keep assuming that. It's, it's really fun. She's like, are you okay? <laughs> Should we get you a hospital, child? <laughs> but while they're working that out and Brock flirts, the Bagon jumps off the cliff and Ash runs up to catch it like, I'll save you! But again, Bagon stops its fall with that skull bash attack bouncing safely into Michelle's arms. It's quite the technique. And why Bagon keeps doing this is it has a dream. It wants to fly. And much like I as a small child did, it keeps jumping off tall structures and trying to achieve that. I never succeeded, but maybe Bagon will. But it's helped along in this goal by Michelle and her awesome shades. Less with the flying, but at least about being able to come down safely with Skullbash. Michelle is all about physics and computer programs, so she can calculate the exact angles and force that Bagon needs to connect with targets, to dodge targets, utterly shatter targets. Max is impressed. All of that will help Bagon in battle, but it might not really help Bagon to fly, and so it looks up at Taylor in the sky, longing. Brock points out that Bagon will eventually evolve into Salamance if it wants, so it'll get wings and be able to fly. It's a common dream of, of many mortal beings to be able to fly. Ash supports this, and if Bagon needs more experience, well, he's happy to battle. Meanwhile, T-Rocket is happy to spy, and seeing Bagon plot its capture. The art for this boss fantasy is fantastic, like... It starts out so cute, and, and then just, Giovanni, how do you live with such passion? <laughs> it's wonderful. But Bagon's primary purpose for the boss would be to open coconuts for him. A, a useful goal. Like, I don't know if it's exactly what Giovanni wants out of his Pokemon conquesting, but I, I don't think he'd say no. So we'll let Team Rocket figure out how that's going to work. We'll cut back to Ash. This time, Ash is going to battle the dragon with Pikachu. I, I don't think Max quite approves of that. He's like, normally a dragon would have a clear advantage, but Ash is going to battle with Pikachu. <laughs> it's just how Ash rolls, bud. Now that its trainer is here, Bagon is much harder to battle, though. Michelle can calculate how Pikachu's moving, the velocity, predict where he's going to be next, and instruct Bagon accordingly. Also, she's 
really just skilled at battle techniques and using offensive moves for defense and stuff like that. And that Skull Bash packs a wall up when Pikachu does quick attack right into it. Like, poor Pikachu almost KO'd on the spot. Quick attack doesn't do near the damage it should have. Meanwhile, Pikachu is suffering in both health and morale. This battle is getting hard. And Pikachu has to dodge Bagon's next attack by the skin of its teeth, like a backbend worthy of the Matrix. Pikachu has never fought an opponent so accurate before. It's really tricky. And, and you can tell it's kind of freaking him out. Bagon is always exactly where it needs to be to deflect, to attack, exactly where Pikachu doesn't want it. It's very hard to fight, and with Michelle's help, if Bagon touches Pikachu, Pikachu's probably gonna go down. <laughs> so Pikachu takes another massive hit, and Michelle thinks she's got this in the bag, and why wouldn't she? Pikachu is looking rough. Bagon has got math on its side, and yet... Ash shouts some words of encouragement, and Pikachu is right back up. Determined, confident, just like his trainer. And that throws Michelle for a loop. Like, this is usually the point where she wins. After all, anyone who takes that much damage fighting an opponent they can barely dodge, who can so accurately pinpoint where they're going to attack from and dodge to, like, doubt should start creeping in. Hopelessness. General pain. They should be thinking that there's no way they can win. They should be hesitant, if not outright afraid, to continue the battle. Like, I'm just gonna get hit again. I can't win. The Pokemon should have already lost the battle in their hearts. It's only a few seconds left before they honestly can't fight anymore, even if they can manage to not just faint. But Pikachu, when he gets up, looks ready for revenge, and on Ash's word, is back in the fray. They've been paying attention all this time, ready to show some of their training as well, like super electrics and the ability to dodge like the rolling waves of the ocean. I am so happy that that special training from Brawly is being put to good use. With Pikachu able to roll and shift with the tides, it makes the battle a little more even. And Pikachu can meet Bagon's Skull Bash with Iron Tail. So just as the battle's getting good, Team Rocket shows up to ruin everything. In a helicopter. This is one of their weirder plans. Rather than get their hands dirty, they're running the operation remotely. Meowth is strapped to a jetpack and Jesse controls that while James pilots the helicopter. Thus equipped, Meowth swoops towards Pikachu. But it's a feint. Meowth swerves at the last second and grabs Bagon. Up, up, and away they go. Jesse guiding the missile on Meowth's back to make a retreat. And Ash is like, yeah, no. Calls out Trico, has it use bullet seed on the helicopter. And the attack causes Jesse to drop the remote control. So now, Meowth is just flying blind. Nothing to control him. He and Bagon are just looping through the air probably headed for a crash, and now James has to really show off his piloting skills to rescue Meowth. Their helicopter is equipped with a net, so James deploys that and swoops in and misses by inches. But it's enough. Meowth plummets to the earth with Bagon, who was really enjoying its chance at flight. 
It's fine, though. Bagon is protected from the landing by its hard head. Meowth was not so lucky. Meanwhile, the twerps find the remote control on the ground. It's out of range of the jetpack, but it still works. Could be useful later. And so they run after the helicopter, either to get close enough to attack Team Rocket or to take control of the jetpack, whatever they can manage. And as they're running, Michelle expresses admiration for Ash's Pokemon. Trico and Talo are like, all in for this rescue, and they have dealt with so many rocket attacks, they're able to deploy like a well-oiled team. Like, of course, Michelle would be impressed. Um, but she's also seen Taylo, Pikachu, and Trico all using attacks well, listening to their trainer, as well as being influenced by the bond with their trainer, especially Pikachu. Ash's encouragement provided a reaction that, mathematically, she wasn't expecting. Ash deflects the compliments to his Pokemon, but Brock makes sure he gets credit where it's due. Ash was right there with his Pokemon, teaching them all of the attacks that Michelle admires. And Michelle wants to know his secret. The answer's the usual, believing in his Pokemon, encouraging them, never giving up. The dialogue in this scene is really trite, like... Oh my gosh, it sounds so stupid. <laughs> but... I think the sentiment under the episode is deeper than that, like, based on the general setup of everything that's happened to this point. Because it's not like Michelle doesn't encourage Bagon. Like, it's not, it's not like she's not trying to help it achieve its dream. But the way she has been training her Pokemon and the way Ash trains his Pokemon are different. And today, she saw Ash do something that all her training couldn't account for. Just as he was taken by surprise by her training style, she was taken by surprise by his. And a good trainer, nay, a good scientist like Michelle is, would want to compile data and see if any of it applies to her current process. Michelle's not doing anything wrong, but she's very interested in what Ash is doing right, because Ash's few words of encouragement got Pikachu back on his feet. After statistics and experience told her that mouse was done. Pikachu's own body should have told him he was done, but he got up and, before Team Rocket showed up, returned the match to an equal standing, may have even gone on to win the thing. But it's not just him saying, I believe in you. Ash put in the work teaching his Pokémon's attacks. He's been right by Trico's side throughout Bullet Seed. He's guided and tried to tame Taylor's never-say-die attitude. He was right there on the ground doing push-ups with Pikachu while they learned Iron Tail. He wanted them to master their attacks just as badly as they did. And I often find, for me, in the pursuits I'm learning, I excel more when my teacher, coach, whatever, isn't just imparting knowledge, but is excited and invested about my success. Like, I can learn in a lecture hall from a book and other impersonal settings, but I feel more empowered and it goes quicker when someone's right beside me to teach and is, is genuinely happy when I demonstrate improvement. And that's an area Michelle can improve in. She does encourage Bagon and supports it, and she has a lot of knowledge to share, but she's been a little bit focused on just the imparting of her incredible physics knowledge on the science and the stats of her computer program and, you know, train, train, drill, repeat. 
she seems a little more impersonal during the battle because she has to be to do her best job at that style of training, like to focus on all those freaking numbers. From what we've seen of her and what she says to Ash, we get the feeling that she's done a lot less of the interpersonal side of training. Again, not that she's not encouraged Bagon in any way, but that's not been her focus. But it is Ash's focus, and it is getting some results that she has not gotten. So she needs to find ways to incorporate some of what Ash is doing into her training. Again, I think that's what the episode is going for, because that's the whole setup. But whoa, the dialogue in this scene is so stupid. So who knows, I may just be projecting onto it, but... Better we find a meaning for ourselves, even if it wasn't the original intent, than not. Well, Bagon uh, may have found a shortcut in the process of learning how to fly. While Jesse and James catch up and try to cheer Meowth up after he crashed headfirst into trees, Bagon is looking over the jetpack. Can this be considered a held item in battle? It might not entertain anyone else, but I want an episode where Pokemon League officials and Elite Four members all sit around and are like, Okay, so, rules. Is this allowed? Because I swear about 50 trainers came through Saffron City Gym last year trying this trick, and I'm getting sick of trying to police it. <laughs> it might at least make a good fanfic. Well, Meowth can identify with impossible dreams. Bagon wants to fly, but... It's physically impossible. Meowth wanted to be human, but it's physically impossible. And yet, Meowth taught himself to speak and walk upright. He's basically human in all but actual physiology. So surely, Bagon can find a way to get close to its dream as well. There may not be wings right now, but we do have a jetpack. And it's not all altruism motivating Meowth here to inspire other people and empower them to achieve their dreams. Very unlike Team Rocket. But, you know, a Pokemon that can fly is more valuable to the boss than one who can't. Simple. So we get an update to the boss fantasy. Chibi Giovanni gives me life. Like, really. Still, though, James and Jesse are just like, why are we encouraging the captives? <laughs> well, we almost had an interesting plot turn here, but then the twerps show up. I kind of wanted to see Team Rocket actually helping their prey, and like, whether that turned against them later or gave them conflicting emotions or something, <laughs> I don't know. But no, Pikachu shocks Team Rocket and knocks them back into the helicopter. Of course... They got knocked back into the helicopter, so it's really not much work for them all to scramble inside and get the thing turned on. And then shoot out a little claw and grab Pikachu. And as an acting note, that scream Pikachu gives calling for Ash. My word, that is one frantic scream. I've been paying a lot of attention to Pikachu's lines throughout Hoenn because I know somewhere in this season was one of the times where Otani Ikue took a maternity leave from the show, and there was just so much recorded Pikachu dialogue by that point that they were able to just paste it in. But I've never found the exact dates for that, so I was wondering if I paid attention, would I notice something off if I listened? 
And honestly, I don't know. Maybe I'll never figure that out because I keep hearing line deliveries like this. Nothing sounds generic. So if Ikue wasn't actually in the booth that day for that scream, and generally just the other lines Pikachu had today, if she wasn't doing them reacting to all the other characters, then whoever's splicing in the Pikachu dialogue was doing so with extreme care. Like, these are strong acting choices, and I, I am feeling things, so... Just, well done, team. Well done. Well, Pikachu has been captured, the helicopter is flying away, but... Bagon's got a jetpack. It wants to rescue Pikachu with an aerial assault. And this is where Michelle's moment comes in. Yes, Ash has a Pokémon that can actually fly, that doesn't need to be controlled by a remote, that has experience not only flying, but also rescuing Pikachu from Team Rocket in flying devices. Statistically, Talo is the wiser option. The option with more efficiency, with less chance of something going wrong. But Pokémon training and learning isn't always about doing the best option, the strongest, the fastest, most probable. It's why Ash sends newbie Pokemon against opponents they can't possibly win against, even in a gym battle where badges are at stake. We learn by struggle. And by knowing someone else believes in our ability to succeed or improve, even in situations where we're going to struggle. And knowing that our struggles and learning processes and slow improvements are not a waste of time. I'm reading real deep into an episode that, like, I don't even know how much of this lesson is intentional. Because, wow, even if I'm right and this was the moral behind the episode, the execution is so horrendously clunky. But the bottom line, Bagon wants to fly. And it's a dangerous plan. May says so, but Bagon wants to, and Trico supports it, jumps right on the jetpack, and is like, hi-ho, Silver, let's do this. It's character development time, and Ash is like, and Ash is like, Trico, you can't fly like Talo. Your bullet seed, we only just kind of got sort of good at it last episode, but I know you want to save your friend, and I support you in this. It's dangerous, but you're skilled, and I can see that this is important to you. I am backing you up. 100%. Now it's Michelle's turn. This is the choice her observations have led her to. She chooses to support her Pokemon. She picks up the remote control, turns on her computer shades, and gets to work. And with that math, really, the remote control is probably in better hands than it's ever been. Bagon is flying, Trico's a machine gun on top of that. <laughs> Team Rocket is going so down. They catch up to Team Rocket, where Pikachu is trapped in a cage, electric-proof. So the rescue can begin. Bagon rams through the helicopter. He's like, no, not into the helicopter. Through the helicopter. Right through. There, that is a clean hole they put in, through and through. Like, on the ground, I'm sure there's some concern. Like, maybe this was a bad idea. I didn't realize they were just gonna go crazy. Or, I mean... It is Ash crazy is what he would have done. He, he might be down there like, I am so proud of my children. Well, after Bagon goes straight through solid steel, Trico jumps onto the nose of the helicopter and forces Team Rocket to call out a Pokemon to battle it. 
So now Sviper is squished into that tiny cab. James has no room to pilot, and Sviper has no room to dodge the eventual bullet seed that Trico fires through the window. Seeds ricocheting around like lethal ping-pong balls. Meanwhile, from outside, Bagon's just smashing its head into the helicopter over and over, like skull bash after skull bash. Those two are bringing that helicopter down, and as it starts to smoke and drop altitude, Pikachu gets this expression on its face like, Guys, maybe you should have found another way to rescue me. This looks decidedly unsafe. But luckily, Trico's on it. it. It frees Pikachu from the cage and gets him out of there. They escape onto Bagon and the jetpack while the Rockettes try to take control of the sinking helicopter. For all that's worth, the thing is headed for a rocky landing no matter what they do. And Ash likes adding insult to injury in these cases. He calls for a thunderbolt to just speed that along, which Pikachu was all too happy to give. And the helicopter and all inside it go blasting off. So... Well done, troops. The Pokemon return to their trainers, safe and sound. Bagon looks real jazzed about getting able to fly. And later, Bagon finishes its flight, and I guess that was just the experience and motivation it needed. It evolves into Shelgon, one step closer to its dream of being a Salamance with wings. I mean, right now, it's just a big honking rock, so it'll have to give up jetpacks for a bit. But it's closer to real flying, and Michelle's going to help it get the rest of the way. So, a a cute little episode. There's really nothing stellar about it. Like I said, the moral is so clunky, but it had a few shining moments. That boss fantasy is just adorable. I, I love that style of art and, and little Chibi Giovanni and all of his all of his emotions. <laughs> As an episode, I just mostly feel the sense of wasted opportunity. Like, there was potential for some real thoughtful observations and and a moral on, like, you know, the differences between Ash and Michelle's training styles and how neither of them are wrong. In fact, both of them are brilliant, but by incorporating each other's strategies, they become even stronger and, like... You know, all the help Michelle gives to her Bagon without, you know, that interpersonal aspect of teaching, it's not half as effective as when she's able to apply, you know, genuine and sincere encouragement and investment in Bagon's success so that Bagon feels it as much as she does. Like, there's all of that. There's, like, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, there's so many typical tropes that got used where we could have deviated just a little bit and gotten kind of a fresh perspective a fresh nugget of idea and that happened multiple times through the episode we're like oh we could have gone just one degree off course and had an experience that we haven't had for a while like like logan has pointed out the filler can be very predictable As someone who creates and writes myself, like, I know nobody can be perfect 100% of the time and nobody can please everybody 100% of the time. So it's, like, it doesn't take away from my enjoyment of the show overall, but when we dive so deep into an episode, like, it's really easy to see, like, like, oh, there was potential here. And 
it could be the writers themselves see that too. Like hindsight is twenty twenty. All of the best episodes of Pokemon that will be coming in the future as we as we go through that we've seen rather recently in the Alola region, like every amazing episode of Pokemon was built on all the ones that came before it, the good and the bad. So so even episodes like this that I don't feel are especially strong are nonetheless important to give a watch to in order to understand where Pokemon is going. And if you are a creative person, like it's a really amazing opportunity to see the evolution of storytelling, both the wins and the fails and how things build and correct from. Like with anything we study, like you learn more when you go beyond just the here and now of what we know, when you look bad at everything that built up to what we have now. That said, I'm probably not going to watch this episode multiple times. But thank you for listening. We'll leave it there, and I'll talk to you all next time. Next time, a, a beloved character returns to the traveling party for a brief stint, and it's going to be delightful, and I'm so excited. I miss her so much, even though we, we did just have a Chronicles episode with our fair maiden. But I think you all know what I'm talking about, and if you don't, you have things to look forward to. So until next time, thank you so much for listening to Peak Happy Podcast. You can follow this show or send emails and comments like, like our friend Logan did by visiting peakhappypodcast.blogspot.com or peakhappypodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Peak Happy Podcast, as well as on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are catched. Until next time, thank you again for listening. This has been Peak Happy Podcast. Gotta catch them all. <laughs>